I'm not Florian. Come on, that's not fair. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're recording. No, that's that's how we started too. Was I'm not Florian. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to make one of those gifts with just I'm not Florian. I'm not Florian, aren't you? This is Omo. London calling, London calling. Hello. Hello. Ben Eberts, welcome. Hey, Ben. Hello. You're listening to the listener feedback episode of OMO. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. We've got, we have actually Chris Jacoby with us this morning. Hi, guys. And we've got Ben Hebert all the way from London. Hello. Hello. And I'm Rosie Deloach. Thanks for joining us today. I was hoping we could get uh, the rights for the Clash's London calling, but it was a little expensive, so... We tried. Ben, you get nothing. (laughs) Let's jump right in. Chris, we wanted last time for you to tell your superfan experience. Oh, man, yeah. And I'd love to hear it now. So I'd wandered down to the wilds of Texas to build bases uh, with my buddy Trevor Davis. Hell of a good base maker. uh, Hell of a good dude. And uh, there is a spider with uh, a violin on its back. Of course. Who apparently is a a big fan of the show um, and needed to let me know by hanging out in my pants all night and then rotting a hole into my leg um, and sending me to the hospital. So big shout out to my super fan, um, Brown Recluse. Hey, Brown Recluse. Oh, sorry. Give, Give him a shout out. Yeah. They like to hang out in wood piles and luthier's pants. Yeah, so excited to meet you, and you got to take a trip to the hospital while you were visiting us Texans. <laughs> it was fun, Rosie. You yeah. came and carved yeah. some scroll, and uh, we got to see the inimitable Frank Straza uh, doing some great stuff, cutting dovetails and showing us how French marquetry is done by hand. Anytime we get a group of luthiers in a garage or a shop. It's so fun. Lots of beer and coffee is consumed. Yeah. So I've got to ask something, uh, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, In England, having a spider in your pants means something (laughs) slightly different from how it does in America. (laughs) What does it mean? Could could you kind of explain? Well, there was an actual physical spider and arachnid in my pants, as near as I can tell, because I got what kind of felt like... Sort of north or south. It, it was, well, it was behind my left knee. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure what this says about the, uh, the, the physical characteristics of the Brits, but uh, I'm, uh, what, what does it mean when there's a spider in your pants? And, well, how easily could you sit down afterwards? No, yes, yes, I could. Yeah. <laughs> American pants. This is literally a spider that has a a. Its back has a print that looks like a violin on it. Mm-hmm. That's that's my homie. <laughs> yeah, oh. I'm actually. I kind of hope it died because uh, it it was a, it was an awful few days of uh, ramping up to when 
I finally noticed uh, red streaks climbing my leg to my stomach, and then my neck broke out in a rash. And uh, I turned to our good friend uh, Julian Kosman Cook and his lovely wife and said, "Will you drive me to the hospital?" So yeah, <laughs> it's enough wood chip making. Yeah, you tried to you tried to wait it off. Yeah, like it, it'll get better. <laughs> we had wood chips to make and beer to drink. Yeah, uh, yeah. we had a lot of wood chips. Okay, so actual real feedback that's from humans. First up, we've got Hillel, and he did not mention where he came from. He just wrote in, he said, I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning. I'm a violinist, and I'm thinking about studying violin making. Can you talk about places to study? Ben, Chris? Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Get get an engineering degree, Hillel. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, in the States, we've got uh, Boston, NBSS, uh, which is accredited, which is a plus, Chicago, Salt Lake City, and then more trade school style is Red Wing. Uh, And then there is University of New Hampshire has a program. And unfortunately, one of the oldest programs in the States at uh, IU, Indiana University in Bloomington, has just shut down after many years. Oh, that's too bad. So in England, we've got Newark uh, Violin Making School, which is about the biggest. Mm-hmm. And we're really international. So sometimes we think that the main language at Newark is German. Mm-hmm. And other times we think the main language is French. But <laughs> sort of pretty pretty well dispersed and lots of people from around the world. And uh, that's the biggest. It's got about 70 students. So it's just it takes over the town. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Is there is there tuition at the Newark school or do you apply and get approved and then it's it's subsidized? It's there's tuition. I don't know what the fees are, but uh-huh. yeah, in American standards, they're not bad. Uh, there's West Dean, which is a bit more bespoke. It's sort of a bit like North Bennett School, if you know that. And, mm-hmm. uh, so you're making, well, Renaissance instruments mostly and there's book binders and ceramics conservatives around you. And, and that's the, the cauldron that, that formed you, my twisted friend, right? Nah, that's the cauldron that I tried to melt. I, talk- <laughs> <laughs> I trained at Guild Hall, which doesn't exist anymore. And um, ah. then there's, so scrub that one. But in London, there's Merton College, which is pretty good for sort of trade school, uh, doing res- uh, doing restorations and stuff like that. That's wonderful that there's there's uh, restoration training. That's uh, there's there's a hole for that, except for our uh, our Oberlin workshops and such here, and the new Learning Trade Secrets School, which uh, the wonderful Moors have set up in Ashland, Ohio. We now have courses. I really want to go to one of those courses. Yeah. Yeah, they just have week long supplementals. Yeah. We need more of those, don't we? Yeah. We we didn't mention there's there's Mittenwald there's Mirkor I'm glad you said that because I can never pronounce that right um, and there's there's a school in Cremona and you're 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 closer to those cats Ben had had what's your take on on those programs Yeah I didn't mention them because uh, because I thought that maybe your your uh, questioner was speaking English and you got to speak German to go to Mittenwald. Uh, ah. Yeah, it, and absolutely, yeah. it's a it's a question of where you want to go because these programs are worldwide. 
Exactly. So, so Mittenwald, Miracle, and Cremona, what they've all got in common is that they're because they work within the sort of the nation's education system to to a greater extent. It's going to be you know if you're a musician who's you know clearly a bit older, it's going to be harder to get into to integrate into those, even if you get into them. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so Miracle, for example, is literally it's a high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's going back to you know where you've got to be at fourteen or fifteen in order to 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 do that, and uh, <laughs> which would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas the the tradition in Britain and America, which is you know has so much in common, actually, is yeah. You know, I mean, when I was teaching at West Dean, I was thirty five, and I was the average age of the students. Yeah. Which was yeah, kind of kind of better than regressing to 14 yeah folks have their wiggles out they're serious <laughs> about it after either a first career or um some university and looking forward to getting a spider in their pants which doesn't happen. Mm. yeah which doesn't mean the same thing as it does in texas <laughs> <laughs> so hillel if you are looking for an exhaustive list go to vanzantviolins.com He's got a very thorough listing of all the schools. That's V-A-N-Z-A-N-T violins.com. And actually I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you. It's V-A-N-V-A-N-Z-A-N-T-D violins. T. Yeah. No, T D. T D. Wait, I'm now I'm not sure, but hey, David Van Zant. Or go to bvma.org.uk and we've got the same list. Wonderful. <laughs> Not so much mix up, yeah. Tell say again which uh what website that is. So that's bvma.org.uk. That's the British Violin Making Association. Go to any one of those three websites and you will eventually find the information you're looking for. <laughs> David Van Zant is a wonderful human, uh, but you know, his his name is confusing. <laughs> Too many letters. Well, and speaking of that, we're we're hoping to to plug the Oberlin Bow Restoration Workshop. Uh, yes, Janelle Steele. Um, that's Janelle at TryStrings.com. Okay. If you can say a little bit about the bow restoration course. Uh... Okay. Lovely. Yeah, the Oberlin workshops. That's where Chris and I met, and it's a fantastic collaborative community. I'm going back for the first week in July. And I'll be in the restoration class for violins. But across the hallway, we've got bow restoration. And there's a few spots left. And and Chris, is it, um, it, what does it focus on? Well, you bring your own project, something you're trying to work on. And anybody who's interested in bows, you know, some... Some experience is required, um, but it's not absolutely necessary. If you come with a with some wonder and a willingness to work hard and learn, you'll be in a room with, um, I, I mean, I, I would say the worlds, but it, it's it's more likely, uh, you know, the continents um, best who work on restoring fine bows for a living, um, and they'll walk you through how to do um, repair restoration. Um, set up uh, being able to be in a room with people that can confidently work with camber or yeah. restore horn uh, tortoiseshell blown out ebony um, if if you're looking to get more serious work and have more confidence um, 
as an RCDA. I'm sure I said that terribly. Um, I don't think there's a correct way. <laughs> it's, it's really unparalleled. Yeah. Uh, so if you go, if you would like to go contact Janelle Steele, there's a few spots. We would love to see you there. And I'm around at dinner time, Oberlin, Ohio. Come on out. Okay, we've got a response from Robert Ames, and he says, I'd love your perspective on technology and violin making, as it seems that there is an art that really hasn't embraced modern technology. Hmm. Maybe that's a good thing, but maybe the possibilities are limitless. Guys? Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think? Do you think that uh, we should do things always the traditional way, or is there, there room for... Uh, new materials, uh, new styles. I mean, if you've got a trust fund, sit on tradition blindly. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's pretty cynical. But uh, I mean, I, I use some some modern materials um, in the workshop and in my own making. Uh, we we chatted about Corine, uh, Rosie, um, and there's a, a company called. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, of course, Neo Ebin in Switzerland that's producing. Um, Corine is uh, an epoxy resin in a natural fiber matrix. Um, so more or less, it's a, uh, a hard wearing, um, good sounding material, uh, which has an actual fiber structure. So the speed of sound um, is similar to that of hardwoods. Um, and, and I should mention, we probably came up with this material because it's getting harder and harder to source ebony for fingerboards. Oh, definitely. Uh, and uh, it's not super sustainable. So um, that's part of the march of new materials is trying to find something that we can continue to replace and, and we'll still have that same length of durability as uh, natural wood. Mm-hmm. And uh 10 years ago, I was working at A. Cavallo in Omaha, and my boss ordered a sheet of Corine because he heard that's what a, a guitar company was using for fingerboards. And uh, we painstakingly cut boards out. Um, and the, the Neo-Ebene folks um, who are being distributed by Krentz uh, near Seattle, hi, Kevin, uh, have flipped the, the structure of, of the material. So when we were producing them in Omaha, uh, they were more or less quarter sawn with the, uh, with the grain vertical throughout the board. And it meant that the sides were easy to plane and the face was very hard to plane. And now that's the opposite. So they put grain in a synthetic material. Uh, the way I think about it, and I, I, and I, I haven't been you know, reassured that I'm right, <laughs> is that they, they're stretching fiber and then pouring uh, in, a, in a vacuum process an epoxy resin into the fiber, which is stretched like cords across what the sheet becomes. Um, but they sound quite good. And I've had a lot of, uh, I, I now get those Swiss products um, at Potter's Workshop, and I've had a lot of luck with instruments with a strange body size or with not enough mass in the scroll that are having feedback issues or having a, a wolf or strange spike note, replacing the board and going to Corine, it seems to not mess with the good qualities of sound, but somehow damp the unwanted overtones and allow the instrument to work at a, at a, a more even keel. That's really cool. 
I think there's something really interesting about violin makers in general, and which is worth saying here that that actually as a as a species we're probably about the most you know scientifically adventurous people uh, that I can think of, and maybe that's because I just don't get out much. But, Wonderful, yeah. <laughs> and for all of this, and you know, every workshop's got some kind of idea that people are working on, and you know, there's everyone's got something in their head. You just you just start any conversation like this, and you know, surprising things will hit you from left and right. And mm-hmm. with all of that, I'm going to say, yeah, intellect and cleverness and all of that kind of stuff, uh, words we don't often hear on Omo. <laughs> uh, with all of that, we just end up with all of our thought getting back to this thing which was invented in the middle of the 1560s, not out of dogma. Yeah. I think, you know, you could, you really could be a violin maker who's just so wedded to Andrea Marti or Stradivari because that's what we've always done. Don't ask any questions. That's the best that we can do. Those guys don't exist. Mm-hmm. Or they do exist, but they're probably not listening to you. The people, <laughs> they, they, yeah, they don't have a computer. <laughs> the people who come up to this almost sort of begrudging acceptance that actually if I am going to make a violin, which is as good as it can be, it's going to look scarily like a Strad because of all of these reasons, because we're trying all of these things. And actually the only way that we're going to improve on that, and that's a really strange, strange objective, you know, how can you improve on, how can you improve on Stradivari if you can't get to his level yet? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. sort of fairly arrogant really. And, and that that's the thing is that actually it's with this sort of intelligence and inventiveness that you know we realize you know bottom line is the strings can't be any longer or shorter because of your hand mm-hmm. the the body of the instrument can't be any wider because otherwise you wouldn't be able to get the bow over four strings so if it's going out in weird shapes you can't get your you can't get your rest, wrist around the instrument or it's going to be whatever so even on those re- really basic ergonomic things, what can you actually create which is better than a violin yeah. doing what a violin's supposed to do? Have you guys um, seen those violins that are completely asymmetrical and they're supposed to be built for ergonomics? The Ravinus violas, those sorts of things. Which... They look like they're like melted from a dolly painting. Yeah. 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 And, you know, with those because I I know people who play them and they've even come over to the United Kingdom and yeah, the people who play them love them. And, you know, the guy in Britain, who's sort of the biggest, the biggest fan of them plays in a theater in an, in an opera pit. Mm-hmm. So no one ever gets to see his instruments. <laughs> so it's all been planned out well. Because I can tell you, I've been to concerts with my mum who knows nothing about violins. And there'll be something like, you know, you're in a Baroque concert and there's somebody with a yellow fingerboard or something like that amongst everything else. And, you know, people like my mum, bless her, will just home in straight on the thing that's weird and go, why is that person so special that they've got? a yellow fingerboard instead of a black one. I love that. That's so not American. (laughs) We'd be like, that's cool. It's a, it's a bright pink violin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the New York Phil aren't playing bright pink violins to the best. Rosie's uh, and I have been chatting about her first violin build and. uh, Is that bright pink? 
No, no, no. <laughs> well, no. well and, and of course, she's having the feeling that that I had in in my first year in school, which is I want to do something different. And uh, I I was portraying something which was handed to me by by a mentor and friend years ago that if a poet is writing verse, staying within the strictures of the meter makes the successes more valuable as well as making the 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 making you understand why the strictures are necessary mm -hmm. so you don't head off into left field um mm -hmm. i mean and the the old saw is that picasso was the finest classical artist on the continent before he started doing the 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 lady walking down the stairs you know yeah yeah, and I don't want to do something bizarre different, but I was thinking maybe something Amatis for my first build, which I'm publicly declaring 2020 is my year. I'm, I will actually literally be able to call myself a violin maker. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, any other uh, products? I know that, you know, through the years we've shifted from gut strings to all almost completely synthetic strings. They're um, steel and um, synthetic core. Sy yes. Um, I am blanking out. Perlon, nylon. I think uh, Perlon's just a name for, for nylon, nylon materials <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah. So that people don't go, well, my pants are made of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, Joe Curtin. Spider silk. Spider silk. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I still want to play a set of those, but I'm betting they're ten thousand dollars, you know. <laughs> uh I'm gonna bring them down here with that brown clues. <laughs> Joe Curtin was talking about I, I don't want to say his alternative to Corrine because I think he's developed it on his own, but another fingerboard material called paper stone. Um and Philip Ela, what a amazing maker. Philip, I, I, I love your work so much. Uh, he's experimenting with um, a colleague of his product, which is spruce infused with resin. Um, I've used carbon fiber in builds uh, to stiffen, uh, both in restoration and in new builds, to stiffen um, a neck which is too thin, but which uh, for the sake of, of conservation, we don't want to replace to improve attack on a new instrument. Now, where do you put that carbon fiber? Uh, it's inlaid underneath the fingerboard um, under a, a hardwood uh, strip inside of the neck. Okay. Uh, so most of these things seem to be materials wise, uh, as you said, Rosie, to um, combat the increasing difficulty of getting good materials from countries which thankfully are now in control of their own uh, precious resources instead of there being a, a colonial outshipment, uh, which doesn't benefit the folks that actually live there. Guys, what do you think a violin's going to look like? A modern violin will be 100 years from now. Uh, exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly yeah. the same. <laughs> I mean, I, I can sort of go back, if you go back 200 years and you've got, you know, Shano asking exactly the same question and yes. making making an instrument with no corners uh the strings go like a guitar into the you know into the body into holes cut in it and it takes 20 or 30 years for people to say well that's really interesting isn't it and although you can read things at the time which are saying well these were played against strads and they're even better uh you know 
they've had 200 years to prove themselves and we kind of you know we prefer a viome to a shano guitar model violin mm-hmm. so it's again you know i'm not being i'm not being dismissive you know mm-hmm. there's a challenge make something that's going to be better than what we're producing at the moment for goodness sake do but i i find if uh but i'm sitting smugly here and smiling and shaking my head and going no you won't <laughs> <laughs> i find if if a client um says to me you have absolute freedom to make the instrument that pleases you i don't mind something which is physically different from the norm that that pushes me back to the more classical instruments automatically because what do I really want to do I want to hit those stylistic notes and still have it function well enough for that that player so when 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 somebody says do whatever you want I look around a month later and I'm I'm building a Niccolo Amati going ah <laughs> and you're falling back on your 20 years or whatever it is of accumulative experience. Yes, sir. In order to go, right, I'm going to make a Nicola Marty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Viome worked for uh, for Shano for a while. I, I, is, do you know, is that is that true? He actually made those guitar-shaped instruments. Yeah, that, I, I remember seeing something at, in uh, South Dakota at the National Music Museum on the quartet they have of them there saying J.B. Viome was, was building these across town, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what inspired him to leave the leave the shop set up on his own <laughs> and make some proper copies of Strats. Wonderful. And he was a man of experimentation and trying new ideas and new materials. And new hats. And new hats, which leads us to our next Thanks. feedback piece. <laughs> Robert Weindahl. Hey, Robert. How you doing, man? Hey, Rob. Like, love that name. Vindal. Uh, we're just going to have a, a Vindal corner uh, mm-hmm. for the feedback episode. So we'll just leave a space for anything he's got to tell us. Uh, so remember how, Chris, you and I were asking about the fez that he wore? Which you sent me a fez for Christmas, and you're yeah. now my my favorite, favorite person. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> I wear it at work and annoy my bosses. Good, good. Well, unfortunately, we have a little bit of correction. Ah. He tells us it is a smoking cap, which is slightly different. But, you know, you can call yours a smoking cap if you want. Fine. Yeah. So it's also called a thinking cap. So there's actually a physical hat that they called a thinking cap. (laughs) And it was worn by gentry at home. It was a sign of social standing, a person that could afford a leisure hat at a time when everyone wore hats, but never indoors. Well, I can tell you a story. I, I think I think I can tell you a very true historical story that I just made up just this moment, which is that wonderful. Actually, it's it's the bow makers in Viome's workshop who coined the term smoking hat. Oh, perfect. It, it is. Because if you if you see them, there's a little black tassel which sort of hangs down the top. Uh-huh. And if, if you're trying to camber a bow over a flame <laughs> when wearing a fez. That tassel is going to burst into and flame. It a smoking hat. So that's, that's a really specific piece of, of violin making history. I yes. do that true history right now. <laughs> I'm going to head to Wikipedia sometime this week and just start entering 
utter fun crap into the it's, world. It's on the internet. It's got to be true. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert goes on to say that he... And that, that's why PM didn't make many bows. Because his, <laughs> his hat was precious to him. <laughs> he also uh, believes that the crazy signature that the Yom has with all the flourishes, that was also a sign to show that he's a man of finer things. He's got time to add all the little swirls. The hieroglyphic, I think Jeff Holmes yeah. calls it. Yeah. yeah, I think when the tassel got took fire, there was more than just thread in that in that smoke. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hemp is an excellent, excellent thread. Long lasting. True. There, there's a cat on on Meisternet. I, you know, I think I feel we should all cross ourselves whenever Meisternet is is mentioned, just as a matter of course. But uh, there's a cat on Meisternet who pops up like every two or three years, insisting that uh, his love for cannabis um, means that uh, it was definitely hemp oil used in the classical Cremonies varnish, and that we should all spend time expressing the leftovers from from what is uh, cultivated each year to make the oil for our varnish making. And he gets shouted down and he goes and hides somewhere with his pot, you know, and waits for somebody to ask about oil again. Well, we do know, and this is this is historically true, that uh, when uh, I was an English violin dealer who came over to Vium's workshop and he showed him all the processes and he'd varnished in a house, in a he basically in a garden shed at the bottom of the garden so mm. that nobody else could get this varnish recipe. And he'd then cover himself in uh, aniseed, sorry, yeah, aniseed oil <laughs> so that people wouldn't be able to smell what was in the varnish. Fantastic. And, I, and I'm just thinking, I mean, I've done stuff like work, work with acetone and at the end of it, like you're going, woo, circles. Mm. <laughs> and maybe that's when he went and just signed his instruments and he just gets carried away with the pen. <laughs> Aniseed oil. <laughs> oh man, I might have been there myself before. But... Yeah, my my uh, my instructor at VMSA uh, during the winter, um, we varnished upstairs um, in his area, and it was very very cold one week, and the heater wasn't working. So he told us we had to leave the the doors closed, and I fell down the stairs when I was leaving. There was a a lot of hammer roll in the air that day. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. Officially, Viome was a man of letters, and that's why he did a squiggly scroll. Well, guys, thanks for listening, and um, thank you, Chris and Ben, for all of your smarts. Thank you, Rosie, for your smarts and for always making this happen. I do want to do a quick shout-out to um, friends that I made last week when I actually got to wander the streets of Cremona. Awesome. Uh, I was having breakfast and eavesdropping on these two Brits talk about talking about Brexit. And then one of them started discussing uh, violin repair. So I had to interrupt them. So uh, Jonathan Rowe and Kenneth Price, thanks for hanging out with me for a day. I really enjoyed it. We got to um, just see all of Cremona and tour a bunch of violin shops and find the home that we think is the first home that the Strad family lived in. And where Omobono was born. Hey guys. It was amazing. It was a magical day. Ben, have you been? You've been many times. I've been to Cremona, yeah. Yeah. Got lost in the streets. Yes. <laughs> Had a meal at Hotel Duomo. 
never have a, a meal at the house I dwell now. I okay. <laughs> okay, so I did um spend the night at the hotel duomo with the little like violin icons everywhere did you have the local menu i i just had breakfast there that's actually where i bumped into jonathan and ken never eat that uh but i i (laughs) (laughs) you hate it there it's a story about eating there (laughs) it's like the local dish is okay it's meat which you know it's a cow that fell into the river po in turin and, <laughs> and then washed down washed up in Cremona and they just <laughs> chop it into bits and you just have a look at that and there's this there's this stuff which is sort of pickled fruits or something and they'll give it to you as a starter and it'll be about three hours before the main course comes in it's called mostarda and if you're like me on the first time I went there there was some bread and there was some mostarda and I'm thinking this looks more like a pudding Oh. So I went and ate the whole thing since my meal wasn't coming with bread. <laughs> and then and then you sank later when you stepped into a puddle. It was the worst thing you possibly could ever do. It's, okay, I'll make a note just, not to eat. It's just like burger mustard and glacé fruits <laughs> mixed into one. <laughs> Luthier fuel. So uh, guys, again, thank you so much. Thank you everyone out there for listening. Again, if you've got another name that you think that uh, would be better than the listener feedback episode, uh, mention it, send it our way. You know where to find us. We're everywhere. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. I recommend Hebert's Hogwash. <laughs> I think I've already taken that. But... <laughs> as, <laughs> you mean as the, the episode title? Hebert's yeah. Hogwash? I like it. I like it. That means you'll have to invite me back, though. Yeah, we would have to do Done. That. well guys y'all have a lovely day ciao ciao see ya Sound plays our theme music.